This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and on Sirius XM Channel 80. All right, it's time to go to work. Welcome to Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Fitz and Harry on a much-deserved vacation this week. Alongside Freddie Coleman, my name is Joe Fortenball. We've got a big show for you. Sit back, buckle up, and get ready to let it rip. Yesterday, Freddie and I stumbled into a conversation about the NBA, about the 76ers, and about some of the core issues that have plagued them from taking it to the next level. There are a variety of reasons and theories out there, some obvious, some not. As a Sixer fan, my theory is very simple as to why the Sixers haven't been able to take the next step in their evolution. They are a culture rooted in losing, and that that has permeated every facet of the organization and has presented or prevented that team from reaching the next step of its evolution, which is truly contending for NBA titles. That's my belief. This is all rooted in the trust the process concept conceived by Sam Hinkie. Trust the process was very simple. We are going to A, lose lots of basketball games so that B, we can acquire several high draft picks so that C, we have access to the best players available so that D, we can start winning again. Simple four-step process. Lose a lot to get a lot of high draft picks to have access to the best players so you can start winning again. And they started winning, but they've never truly reached any sort of highly competitive level, true championship level, because they are rooted in losing. It is a culture that was built on losing, and they have never fully gotten away from it. We have spent two months talking about heat culture on this network. What's heat culture? Blue collar, gritty, tough, fighting for loose balls, underdog mentality. When the going gets tough, we get going. That we might lose, but we're going to take a piece of you with us if we're going down. That's heat culture. What is Philadelphia's 76ers culture? It is a culture that was built in losing, and they have never been able to get past it. That doesn't mean they're losers or that they're one of the worst franchises in the NBA. It's just a culture that was built on losing, and they have never gotten away from it. And it rears its head in all the key championship moments. So this theory of mine was floated yesterday to some extent on this radio network and the rest of the radio network responded. Good friend of mine, good friend of many, Chris Carlin was on Greeny this morning. He took a bit of an exception to it. Here's what he had to say. The Sixers have consistently been in the playoffs. That's not losing culture. Was Brett Brown a losing culture head coach? No, that guy had to weather all of those losses when they were atrocious. And really, you can look at it and understand, because Joel clearly does, bad decisions got the Sixers to this place. Nothing else. Bad decisions and picking the wrong players to go to war with which was rooted in a losing culture. Jimmy Butler is a winner. He was on your roster. You were staring him in the face. You chose Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris instead because it is a losing culture. You can't recognize the winners when you see them. You went with Markel Fultz in the draft over guys from Duke and Kentucky. Winning programs. You went with him out of Washington. You went with Ben Simmons out of LSU. Couldn't even get his team to March Madness. You haven't valued winning. You valued losing very early on. And you never truly got away from it because you never learned how to win. 
you never learned how to get it done. People will come out and they will say, well, they've won 50 games during the regular season several times. That's a winning culture. No, it's not. The players themselves have told you they don't care about the regular season. Where do you think load management came from? The entire basis of the regular season is to survive it so that when you get to the playoffs, you're ready to play at your best. That's where the winners separate themselves. The playoffs. Not by winning 50 games in the regular season, 40 of which probably came against teams that had guys that were resting or battling hamstring injuries or were playing their third game in four nights. It's about the playoffs. And this is something Philadelphia has never figured out. Six years. Six years since they started trying to win. Six years. They've been to the playoffs every year. They have never gotten past the second round. Five second round exits, one of which came as a first round exit sweep in the bubble at the hands of the Boston Celtics. They have not been able to get to the championship rounds. In boxing, the 11th and 12th rounds, those are the championship rounds. In the NBA, it's the conference finals and the finals. Those are the championship rounds. Philadelphia is not a championship team because they are steeped in that losing culture. Since the Sixers, six years ago, started trying to win games, 14 of the 30 NBA teams have made the conference finals. 14, half the damn league has been in the conference finals. You know who hasn't? Philly, the Knicks, the Pistons, the Hornets, the Magic, the Wizards, the Pacers, the Bulls, the Nets, the Kings, the Timberwolves, the Thunder, the Pelicans, the Jazz, the Spurs, and the Grizzlies. That's the company Philadelphia keeps. The Hornets. The Pistons. That's the company they're in. Don't tell me because they get to the second round, the process is a success. It's not. The whole point was to win. If Hinky told you at the beginning he was going to lose a ton of games to get a lot of high draft picks to start winning games, but the top out of all that was going to be the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs, it would be deemed unacceptable because no one's aiming for the second round of the playoffs. You're aiming for conference championships. You're aiming for the finals. That's what this was supposed to be about. That doesn't mean it still can't happen. But this team at every turn has been steeped in losing from the very beginning, and it rears its head. It reared its head at the end of Game 7 against the Raptors when the big shot wasn't hit by the Sixers. It was hit by Kawhi Leonard. It reared its head at the end of Game 6 against the Boston Celtics, who were playing an atrocious game. 83-81, Philadelphia. 4.30 left in the fourth quarter. They got a two-point lead. This is at home to close out the Celtics, who were crap this past year compared to the previous season. And they went on a 14-3 run. Philly scored three points in the final four and a half minutes in a situation that would have finally advanced them. That's a culture steeped in losing. The last time the Sixers made a conference championship, it was Allen Iverson who did it. The exact opposite of trust the process. A guy who's more rooted in heat culture than Philadelphia culture. 2001. Since that time, you know how many teams have failed to make the conference finals? Five. The Sixers, the Knicks, the Hornets, the Wizards, and the Pelicans. Trust the process has not been a success. It's an organization steeped in losing. And while they're not at the bottom of the barrel in the NBA... They can't find their way to the championship rounds because they never truly learned how to win because they spent too much damn time losing. Freddie Coleman, how you doing? Not as fired up as you are, my friend. <laughs> uh, apparently, Chris Carlin got under your skin. I let, that was a great soliloquy about a losing culture. Here's something else. I'm not going to counter to what you said because this is what happens when fan bases feel let down 
by their teams. Someone who's a Jets, Knicks, Rangers, Mets, Cowboys fan, completely understand exactly <laughs> where you're coming from as far as that goes. It's a hard life. It, it is an extremely hard life, but it was something that was brought up to me, and I was thinking about this when I woke up this morning. When you have a culture and you have fans' expectations, and especially in a basketball city, Joe, like like Philly is. We're talking about Big Five basketball from back in the day. Temple, oh, yeah. LaSalle, St. Joe's, Villanova, U-Pin basketball. The Palestra, one of the, one of the hallowed grounds when it comes to basketball in this country, not just in the state of Pennsylvania, not just in the city of Philadelphia. When you have a fan base that says, we are a basketball city, but our basketball team continues to let us down, then they're going to be very – a lot of people are going to say, why am I going to allow myself to be set up for my team to let me down again? Knicks fans have gone through this, Joe, since the team won an NBA championship. The last time the Knicks won an NBA championship, gas was free in this country back in 1973. <laughs> so when you're supposed to be the city game and the team that represents your city continually falls short time and time again, but they keep giving promises, they keep saying it's going to be different this time, that's why I clearly understand where you're coming from and I clearly also understand why Chris Carl did not agree with what he had to say about the Philadelphia 76ers, that the players failed that organization, not the culture failing the 76ers. Without question. And I don't necessarily disagree with Carlin. I think he, I think he makes a lot of great points. But look at the players. When we Absolutely. talk about the players failing the team, these are the players that the culture created. Joel Embiid is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. But whoever taught him how to win? Who taught him how to take it to the next level? Mm. I go back to that game six against Boston. They managed three damn points with four minutes and 30 seconds to go with a chance to build on their legacies. Absolutely. They completely fell apart in that moment. And when you talk about not having good enough players, again, I'm not arguing this team should have won a championship. Right. I'm just saying we haven't seen the progress. They haven't even gotten past the second round. Here's what I want to highlight. Embiid is now an MVP. Yep. Okay, I'm going to just work backwards of NBA MVPs. You stop me when you hear someone who hasn't been to the conference finals. Okay, okay I will. Jokic, been there. Giannis, Harden, mm -hmm. Westbrook, mm -hmm. Curry, mm -hmm. Durant, mm -hmm. LeBron, mm -hmm. Derrick Rose, mm -hmm. Kobe Bryant, mm -hmm. Dirk Nowitzki, okay. Steve Nash, right. Kevin Garnett. Right. I know some people will say he didn't go. Yes, he did. Yes, the he year did. he won, yep. 03, 04, they went to the conference finals. Mm -hmm. Tim Duncan, yep. Allen Iverson, Shaquille O'Neal, Carl Malone. Michael Jordan, David Robinson, Hakeem Olajuwon, Charles Barkley, Michael Jordan again, several times. Yes. Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Moses Malone, Julius Irving, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Moses Malone, Bill Walton. I can go on forever. Where's the last guy who didn't make it to a conference finals? This is not even about winning championships. I'm not mm. going to set the bar that high, but they should have right. at this point, Freddie, made it at least to a conference finals. There have been 14 teams in the NBA who have done it in the last six years, which is when the Philadelphia 76ers decided they were going to finally start trying to win. Well, I think that's why they brought in a Nick Nurse, because they did not reach back into history or an assistant to someone in history like they did with Doc Rivers. They reached back in to bring him to this organization because he's won an NBA championship with the Boston Celtics. They brought somebody who has no lineage when it comes to understanding that. Because even Doc Rivers said he didn't realize how deep the Boston-Philadelphia rivalry went until he became coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Nick Nurse, he's just like the, he's just like the Pacific Ocean in a Shawshank Re Redemption. It has no memory. <laughs> That's Nick Nurse right now. He's not worried about what happened in the past and Philadelphia and Boston. He's like, look, I know what it takes to win a championship in the 21st century, and I'm going to make sure that I'm going to have guys that are going to buy in when it comes to win a championship in the 21st century. For the first time in a long time, when you think about it, Joe, 
The 76ers are not bringing in a losing culture kind of coach. They're not bringing in a guy that has had a recent history of having teams falling short, either in the conference finals or in the second round. They're bringing in a guy that kept the Philadelphia 76ers from going to the conference finals when these two met in the NBA playoffs and they lost that game seven to the Toronto Raptors. So I'll give the 76ers credit for bringing a Nick Nurse who has no memory of what's going on. He just knows what he knows what works and how to get that to make it work. Now, if it doesn't work, you can clearly push those chips at the feet of the players who are failing the culture in Philadelphia. It can't just be an overall team or overall city thing if it doesn't work, no matter who's there for Nick Nurse in Philadelphia. Those sultry sounds belong to Freddie Coleman. My name is Joe Fortenball. We are in for Fitz and Harry here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. we got plenty more to get to on a lot of this, but there's one team out there that has been to the conference finals more recently than the Sixers, and they might get back before they do, the Sixers do, because of what happened just last night. That's next on Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80 would actually be the perfect timing for Portland to move on now that they do have the heir apparent. The best thing he can do is leave the Trailblazers. If Damian Lillard says, I don't think we can win with this roster, then I'm going to say, well, it's your choice. Do you want out? Vince and Harry, the podcast. would actually be the perfect timing for Portland to move on now that they do have the heir apparent. I hear a lot of speculation around Draymond Green and Dame Lillard spending a lot of time together. Can that be possible for Golden State? The best thing he can do is leave the Trailblazers because maybe he can go somewhere where he has the shot at the championship he obviously wants. If Damian Lillard says, I don't think we can win with this roster, then I'm going to say, well, it's your choice. Do you want out? And let him make the decision right there. Oh, yeah. Dame Watch continues. Alongside Freddie Coleman, I'm Joe Fortenball. We are in for Fitz and Harry here on ESPN Radio. And it's been the story of the offseason. NBA free agency opens Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. All eyes on Portland, not on a free agent, but on Damian Lillard and where the future will take him. Brian Windhorse, ESPN NBA insider. He was on Get Up this morning discussing the meeting that took place yesterday between Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers. Well, this was the meeting that a lot of the league was watching to see if Damian Lillard requested a trade, and he absolutely did not. In fact, from what I understand, the tenor of the meeting was that he doesn't want to put pressure on the seven, on the uh, six on the Blazers, uh, that he wants to see what they do in free agency, and he's going to give them that time to do that. So he is still going to give the Blazers every opportunity to work through this free agency process this week, whether it's through trades or signing players. Now, I will tell you that this is going to potentially cause some teams that were going to make offers for him to have to move on with business. They can't. They were waiting to see whether Dame Lillard was going to be on the market before they started to make moves this week. Now some teams are going to have to make a decision, either go forward or wait around. That's Brian Windhorst on Get Up This Morning. Blazers mm-hmm. general manager Joe Cronin released a statement yesterday saying, quote, I met with Dame and Aaron Goodwin, who's Dame's agent, this afternoon. 
We had a great dialogue. We remain committed to building a winner around Dame. End quote. Freddie Coleman, mm -hmm. it's starting to feel as if this is becoming one of those somewhat drama-filled yeah. NBA scenarios we get every offseason. Normally, it's a Kevin Durant, it's mm -hmm. a Kyrie Irving, it's somewhat of that nature. We never really thought it would be Dame, and now, sure enough, whether he wanted to be or not, Dame Lillard's at the center of this thing. Yeah, and here's why. Because Damian Lillard knows what he wants, but he knows it's not going to happen in Portland. He has, a, he has a great loyalty to an organization that was very loyal to him, Joe, because when he got drafted out of Weber State, people said, why did Portland Trailblazers drafting a kid out of Weber State? What in the heck is going on? And he went out there and he balled out his 11 years. Yep. Nine out of 11 years that he's been in this organization, he's not only made an all-star team, but they gotten into the playoffs. In these 11 seasons, he's only averaged less than 20 points per game once. That was his rookie season when he averaged 19 points per game. And he averaged a career-high 32.2 points per game last season. Damian Lillard wants to win a championship in Portland, Joe. He knows it's not going to be possible in Portland. So that's why we're getting this dramatic, seems like the end of the school year play where somebody didn't get the right part when it comes to Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers <laughs> because Damian wants to do it in Portland. But he knows if it's going to happen, it may happen in Portland, but he may be too old to make a difference or he may be somewhere else. So that's where we're getting – this stickiness involving what Damian Lillard really wants. But he knows, Joe, it's not going to be possible that that's going to happen in a city and with an organization that has been as loyal to him as he's been to that organization. What's the famous line? You either die a hero or you live long enough to become the bad guy? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's, yes. that's yes. starting to feel as if we might approach that territory in the next, I would say, year or so. Because let's let's follow this timeline. Dame's always been been loyal to Portland. He said that's where he wants to be. Mm -hmm. He's been the model example of the guy who's who's going to stand up for the community. He is going to represent that community. He's trying to win there. But now it's getting a little bit later in his career. He's watching a lot of other guys have that championship success. Absolutely. He's decided he wants to pursue it, and it might not happen in Portland. So he doesn't want to break up with the team. He doesn't want to go through the divorce because they've had great times together, but he needs something from them. We're not sure if they can deliver that for them. So this year becomes the somewhat drama-filled year of will he, won't he, will they, won't they. Mm -hmm. If he stays and it doesn't necessarily work out through free agency and we revisit this again next offseason, oh this starts to become more Kevin Durant-ish, right? And that's not to necessarily not KD, but KD yeah. tends to find himself at the center of trade requests quite often. We've seen it throughout his career. Lillard's never been that guy, but two years in a row of this, yeah. that's going to start wearing on some people. The, the, you wonder if it's going to start wearing on Damian Lillard because yeah. you would think a guy that's about to make over $45 million this year, that's not an easily tradable piece that the Portland Trailblazers have because for my money, the best place for him is is a team that can give him what he wants, and that is the Miami Heat. Now, you're going to have to have a whole package of players and draft picks. That could include uh, Kyle, Kyle Lowry, for example, his exemption, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, draft picks. And is he worth it? Well, for my money, yeah, he's worth it. If you believe you're a championship team and he's that piece, not saying you're gutting your roster, but you got to move on from some pieces for a big piece like that. The question is, though, if it's going to happen, because Brian Windhorst made the point. Teams are already in business for 2023 with the regular yeah. season. They're already thinking about that because that's why free agency, they're going to know who they're going to go after, who should they part with, who they can think about trading for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The longer you wait, the less leverage that you're going to have. Not if you're Damian Lillard, but if you're the Portland Trailblazers. Because right now you have some sort of leverage where you can move on from him and teams have not made their outright decisions. 
the minute that July 1st happens, then you're really putting yourself in a situation that you may not be able to trade this guy by the trading deadline, much less the beginning of the regular season, and then it morphs in the next year, and you're having the same conversations over gear, over again, and there's no guarantees, Joe, that he's going to be as much of a tradable asset or a tradable piece as he is this year right now when it comes to Portland and Damian Lillard. And to that point, given what we just saw, what happened with Bradley Beal and the Washington Wizards, you would almost think Portland might be more motivated to go out when they can get a dollar in exchange for a dollar rather than 50 cents on the dollar. Because if Washington moves on from Beal a year or two earlier, they bring a draft haul in return. They speed up their rebuild. Instead, they do it this year, and it was really just about getting out from underneath that contract and the return outside of getting out from underneath that contract wasn't very bountiful. He's Freddie Coleman. I'm Joe Fornball. Two of the top NBA draft picks made history on Thursday night, but they are not as groundbreaking as you thought. That's coming up next. This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN radio and the ESPN app. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. With the fourth pick in the 2023 NBA Draft, the Houston Rockets select Amen Thompson from Oakland, California, an overtime elite. With the fifth pick in the 2023 NBA Draft, Pistons select Asar Thompson from Oakland, California, an overtime elite. Yeah, buddy, history was made last week during the NBA draft when the Thompson Twins found themselves going Mm. fourth and fifth overall to the Houston Rockets and Detroit Pistons, respectively. Alongside Freddie Coleman, my name is Joe Fortenball. This is Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. We mentioned the Thompson Twins because we're lucky enough right now to have the mother of the Thompson Twins joining us here on the show, Maya Wilson. Maya, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, How familiar are you with this song and the band that sings it, the Thompson Twins? (laughs) Well, oddly enough, I am a child of the 80s. Well, I was in junior high, high school in the 80s, so very familiar. Yeah, 1984 is when that song came out. I'm familiar with that as well. Yeah. It shows how much older I am of you, Miss Wilson, when it comes to the Thompson Twins <laughs> than being a child of the 80s. But what was it like seeing your two children, your own flesh and blood, go four and five in the NBA draft last week? It was absolutely amazing. There, there are really no words to describe. You, you have an idea or you want to see them go high, but to go fourth and fifth, um, yeah, we were all thrown off by that pleasantly. So, Were you at all a part of the conversation the two of them had? Now that they're going to be living in different cities, they had to divide up the Xbox, from what I understand, <laughs> a key pair of Jordans. Yeah. Were you brought in on those negotiations? <laughs> no, but I wasn't surprised when I heard that they um, did that, and I also wasn't surprised that a man actually got the short end of the stick. So. <laughs> why were you... Why were you- why were you not surprised that Ahmed got the short end of the stick? I don't know. It just seems to go that way sometimes. And uh, 
people have seen them do the rock, paper, scissors. I believe that's how they, they did it. And so, <laughs> you know, it was in Azar's favor. Azar <laughs> won out. How do you guys plan on, um, on, on on watching them this season, on traveling with them? Are you, are you trying to split your time? Have you kind of figured out the matrix of which games you're going to see one play and which games you're going to see the other play? We are still in the process of doing that. Um, I will say that we will be getting plenty of sky miles um, <laughs> because we will be going back and forth. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're going to be going between – Florida, um, Florida, yeah, uh, Detroit and Houston. Wow. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. Everybody's looking oh, forward yeah. to it. Wow. Grace about Maya Wilson. She is the mother of the first twins drafted in the top 10 in NBA history. When it comes to Ahmed Asar Thompson joining us here on Fitz and Harry, I'm Freddie Coleman. He's Joe Fordenball on ESPN Radio. I love their names. Where did that come from to yeah. name them Ahmed and Asar? Well, they are um, ancient Kemetic uh, names for deities. Actually, their dad was really into um, that um, that type of philosophy and things of that nature. So Amen um, is basically means God, and Asar, God on Earth. Um, Asar is actually the name for Osiris, the original name for Osiris, the Greek god. I like that. Me too. I like that a That's lot. That's fantastic. Wow. Maya Wilson with us here on yeah. Cincinnati Harry on ESPN Radio. So for a lot of the public watching the NBA draft last Thursday night, this is the moment a lot of people were introduced to your sons and your family. Yeah. So they're seeing the culmination of all this hard work, but the hard work and sacrifice that took place to get to this point is something that they're probably unfamiliar with. What What were the sacrifices that you and their father and everyone had to go through to get them to this point? Because I'd imagine it was a lot of hard work along the way. Well, you know, everything about um, us as a family, Men and Asar as players has been um, unconventional. So we never outside of, us playing with the Oakland Soldiers in their early um, basketball careers, for the most part, we played um, non-traditional, kind of like local um, teams. So doing that, them being homeschooled, uh, them making the decision to leave uh, the Bay Area and to go off to Florida in high school or in the eighth grade, and then to make the choice to go to or go college, which, um, to be quite honest, that was a natural progression for us. For them to not do that and to take the alternative route with OTE, there's been sacrifices. So the family's been split up for quite some time, all in the effort to really support them and their dreams and put them in the best uh, circumstances possible. You weren't on board with the move because even you relayed the story about Ahmed could see your stress, and he's actually said, and I quote, Mom, yeah. I will stay with you if it makes you feel better, end quote. What does that say about yeah. your son to say, hey, mom, I know this is difficult, but if you want me to stay, I'll do it. That really, that was necessary to help me keep myself in check and realize that it really wasn't about me. Um, it was about supporting them. And then to be in the, going to the eighth grade and to say something like that when he and his brother um, they are as thick as thieves, um, truly best friends. For him to even say that he would leave him to make sure that I was all right, just let me know that while wow, these kids are a little different and um, I need to step back and make sure that I support them um, in everything that they want to do to make sure that they become who they aspire to be. 
Maya Wilson, mother of the Thompson twins, who were drafted fourth and fifth in last week's NBA draft, joining us here on Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio alongside Freddie Coleman. I'm Joe Fortenball. So they played for overtime elite who had never had a first round draft pick, let alone a top 10 pick. Why was that the right path for your sons in their year between high school and the draft? Well, really, um, the competition, they just really outweighed a lot of the competition in the local circuit in Florida. And then um, just when you're looking at uh, how it was proposed to us, the level of um, uh, coaching staff, the technology that they would have available to them, um, as Amin says often, the ability to have 24-7 access to the gym, which they really did, um, to work alongside Coach Lato, Coach Fanning, mm-hmm. um, Coach Ali. Um, they had a phenomenal um, personal or physical therapy team nutrition. Um, what else? Um, financial literacy, uh, media savvy. I mean, it was just a wide range of things that they truly wouldn't have gotten if they had gone straight to college. And really, if their interest was to be the best basketball players that was the type of college, quote-unquote, that they would need to take it to the next level. So uh, that ultimately was what won out in the decision-making. Wow. Well, Maya, listen, last Thursday was wonderful for you and your family. Congratulations. Congratulations on all the hard work paying off and to more good fortune down the road. We'll be rooting for you. You have two great kids. We can't wait wait to keep watching and play basketball. Thanks for your time today. Please. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Wow. Oh, absolutely. Fantastic. That is Maya Wilson, the mother of the Thompson twins who were drafted fourth and fifth overall by the Rockets and Pistons, respectively, last Thursday night. Yesterday, we gave you our top five NFL wide receivers today. It's time to talk about the running backs. And Uh-oh. Freddie and I could not disagree about one star player more. It is Shocking. a steel cage death match. <laughs> That's after Freddie has this from Vivid Seats. And here at Fitz and Harry, as well as on ESPN Radio, we're fired up for the Major League Baseball season. Luckily for you, our friends at Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, they have great deals on great seats with a huge selection of tickets to this year's hottest matchups. Experience every crack of the bat, every diving catch, and every heart-pounding play of your favorite team live and in person. Just visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. the top five NFL quarterbacks. Prescott has had a fantastic win. Windows my whole career. You want to win the Super Bowl. To the top five NFL fan bases. We're ranking the top of everything in the NFL. This is ESPN Radio's Rank Them. The top five running backs. Out this week on vacation alongside Freddie Coleman. I'm Joe Fortenball. Thank you for checking us out today. Top five running backs. Let's get it started. Number five. 
I think it's Nick Chubb of the Cleveland Browns. And I don't think he gets enough credit for being one of the best players in the National Football League because there isn't anything he can't do. He can run inside. He can run outside. He can really set the temperature for your offensive line and also help out your quarterback. Believe me, Deshaun Watson in his bounce back year that he's going to have a quarterback for the Cleveland Browns is going to be very, very grateful that at times he can just turn around, put that ball in the belly of Nick Chubb and let him do that work. I have him at number five. Number five for me, Saquon Barkley of the New York Giants. Wait, what's Absolute that now? Absolute beast, no doubt. And I'm sure plenty of people out there are going to disagree with the fact that I have him fifth. Like me. Right? Like you. <laughs> <laughs> right away, we've got a problem. But here's the criteria for me. He's missed 21 of a possible 50 regular season games over the last three seasons. That means he's only appeared in 58% of New York's regular season games over the last three years. That's a problem when I'm ranking you against the other guys you're going to see on this list. I'm not doubting the skill set, the contributions in the passing game, the way defenses need to game plan for you. I get it. He's a beast. He just misses too much time. And availability, as they say, is the best ability. Number four. I love Josh Jacobs of the Las Vegas Raiders. My only problem with him, Joe, is that I wonder if they've run him too much in his first part of his NFL career because he's had a lot of carries, and they still are not going to pay him the kind of money that he knows he's supposed to get. But in modern football, you're not going to get that kind of money as a one-back dude at that position in the National Football League. Whoever's playing quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders, they're going to really lean on him. If they leaned on him last year when Derek Carr was their quarterback, I can't even imagine how much he's going to be like the leaning tower of Pisa to keep that upright when the quarterback replacing Derek Carr is going to do the same thing, maybe even more, with Josh Jacobs of the Raiders. Completely agree. Josh Jacobs is my number four as well. you got to respect the man who carries the ball 340 times in the season, Ooh. which ranked second in the NFL last year. But he also gave you 53 receptions in the passing game, so he's a true dual threat. He's the non-quarterback, and I guess non-center, who touched the ball more than any other player in the NFL last season. Now, he wants to get paid, like you said. I'm guessing the Raiders want to run him into the ground again this upcoming year on the franchise yep. tag and then find a replacement. It's unfortunate how it works at this position, but that doesn't we can't recognize the greatness that is Josh Jacobs. Number three. I love Christian McCaffrey to San Francisco 49ers, and I'm sure last year was a revelation because he probably said, so this is what it's like to have proper <laughs> coaching and a quarterback where I don't have to do everything. Wow, I've not had this since Stanford, and I barely had it there when I was a running back at Stanford being a Heisman Trophy candidate. He is going to flourish even much more having a full training camp and a better grasp of the offensive system going into the season for the San Francisco 49ers. And at least, Joe, he will not have to worry about playing quarterback like a wishbone quarterback in an NFC Championship game like he had to worry about against Philadelphia when the Ridiculous. Eagles knocked out both of their quarterbacks in that game last year. Speaks to how smart he is, though, that they could turn to him in that situation and try to at least get something out of him. Number three for me is someone you've already mentioned, Nick Chubb of the Cleveland Browns. Over the last four years, he has ranked third, second, seventh and second in the NFL in rushing yards. And that's with a guy like Kareem Hunt cutting into his workload. During those four seasons, he's averaged over an insane five yards per carry. That means he's halfway to a first down mm. every single time he touches the ball. He's also scored 40 rushing touchdowns over that stretch. The only reason he isn't higher on my list is that he's not as big a factor as some of these other guys are in the passing game. But with no more Kareem Hunt in Cleveland, Nick Chubb could have a monster, monster season upcoming this year. Number two. Derrick Henry is still a fantastic running back for the Tennessee Titans. I keep waiting for 
when he gets to that proverbial clip, I still think that's maybe a couple of years away. He's not going to be the dude we saw rush for over 2,000 yards. He's done that in his NFL career. Those days are long gone when it comes to the Tennessee Titans and Derrick Henry. But that doesn't mean he's not capable of putting up a 1,200, 1,300-burger. And if you're the Tennessee Titans, make sure that you don't run him early. Give him a little bit of a break here and there. This way the regular season goes along in a 17-game NFL regular season that we have that he's going to be stronger to finish because more than ever before, whether it's Will Levis playing quarterback or Ryan Tannehill holding on to his job, Derrick Henry once again is going to see the rock a lot for the Tennessee Titans. Number two for me, Christian McCaffrey. He'd be first on my list if it wasn't for the injuries. He's missed 23 of a possible 50 games over the last three years. But I don't believe there's a better match in all of pro football than Christian McCaffrey and Kyle Shanahan. The guy caught 52 passes for 464 yards and four touchdowns in 11 regular season games with guys like Brock Purdy (laughs) at quarterback. He came over in a trade midweek and he played a big role that following Sunday. He is going to be a fantasy god this season in that offense number one um, for number one for me is Saquon Barkley I think Ooh. he's the most complete back in the National Football League he's an explosive play anytime he puts his hands on the ball now he's got an offensive coordinator named Brian Dable and a quarterback in Daniel Jones who's going to get better once again I think he's gonna throw more touchdown passes some of those to Saquon Barkley in year two of that offense there isn't anything he can't do blocking and blitz pickup, getting on the outside and mismatches on strong safeties and linebackers and he can run between the tackles and outside for my money right now Saquon Barkley is the most complete back in the NFL. Number one for me, Derrick Henry. Do not punish Derrick Henry just because his team stinks. When was the last time a running back carried his team to the conference championship game? Because that's what Henry did in 2019. Over 300 rushing attempts in three of the last four seasons. Over 1,500 rushing yards in three of the last four seasons. 68 rushing touchdowns over his last 71 regular season games played. Freddie's almost averaging a touchdown per game in Tennessee. The guy's averaging 4.8 yards per carry for his career with mediocre quarterback play at best backing him up. Now imagine if opposing defenses had to respect Tennessee's passing game. This Hmm. guy would be running for eight yards a carry. So Derrick Henry, number one for me. Saquon Barkley, number one for Freddie Coleman. Let's stick on that for a moment. Chris Carlin released his running backs list this morning on Greeny. That hack. (laughs) (laughs) Carlin, I love you. McCaffrey, number one. Chubb, number two. Derrick Henry, number three. Josh Jacobs, number four. Travis Etienne of Jacksonville, number five. Very interesting. Mostly what's interesting, he left Saquon Barkley off the list. I had Barkley fifth. You had Barkley first. It doesn't seem like the injuries were much of a concern for you. It really wasn't because Saquon Barkley has been able to prove in the last two years that he can bounce back from that. You knew he's going to have what I call that gap year after having the ACL injury when it comes to last year. But the year before that, that gap year happened. So I thought he was going to be fine, and he turned out to be. But I'm surprised Travis ATN, coming off his own injury that knocked out his rookie season, made Chris Collins' top five list. I guess he's projecting out because it's hard to make a case based on the one season to say ATN deserves to be in that top five with some of the other names we've mentioned. So I think he's projecting out. And in that offense, there is a lot of opportunity moving forward. How important is Saquon to the Giants? And will he even be there for him next season? That's next. Fitz and Harry on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz and Harry, the podcast. 